0: We are in Psalm 73. Let me read the scripture for you. A Psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs unto death. Their bodies are fat and sleek They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with folly. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, his people... Turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. And washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long. I have been stricken. And rebuked every morning. And I have said. I will speak thus. I would have betrayed. The generations of your children. But when I thought. How to understand this. It seemed to me. A wearisome task. Until. I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you have set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakens. Oh, Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge That I may tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord. What we see in this passage is that God reveals his goodness in the sanctuary. So that the heart of God's people may be encouraged, confess sin, and tell of his comfort we see this morning, you think about as you came here and you came into church and you came into this place and you think about what what is your expectations? Go back to Monday of this past week. Were you thinking about Sunday? What were you thinking about? Think back. I'll give you permission to drift away for just a moment. I will call you back. And think back. What was your Monday like this past week? Tuesday? What were the questions that you had? Were those questions helping you lean into this moment in time? What was your dialogue with God? What were your objections? Where did you find your comfort and your pleasure? See, what we have for the psalmist, and this is a psalm of Asaph, I think, though, in exploring the psalm, I I wonder, it doesn't say, I I wonder if this was Asaph's psalm from his own experience or if this was a psalm that he was recording that was sung by by someone else, someone else's experience. It it truly was, it could have been anyone um, that he was, uh, he was recording their experience. It could have been him. We, we notice noticed that, that um, there is a lot riding on this particular psalm. Um, we see that in verse 15. Verse 15 tells us this was an inside conversation. Right? This is a conversation he was having deep within his heart uh, that, that was going on within his mind. And what is he wondering? Well, verse 1 says that he's wondering if God is good. There's the statement, truly God is good to those who are pure in heart. But he's wondering, is God really good? Can God really be good to me? Because this conversation is a conversation that he's having within his own heart. He says in verse 15 that... If I had said, I will speak thus. In other words, if this psalm had come out, had he put the words in the air, what would have happened? He may have affected the faith of generations. Now, actually, the words have come out in the air. Actually, they are preserved more than the air. They're preserved in God's word, this internal conversation of a leader in Israel. And he has a deep crisis of faith. We're entering, it's the first psalm of book three of the five books of the psalms. It is, and we showed this a couple of weeks ago, the trajectory of the psalms. It's going down deep. It gets worse when you read Psalm 87 and 88 and 89, only till you get to the last psalm there does there, there is there this glimmer of hope before we... Enter into book four, and book four is the, the, the introduction to it. I, I call them the, the, the Deuteronomic Psalms. It's Moses' Psalms, and saying, hey, let's get back to basics. Let's revisit the law of God. Why? Because in, in book three, there is this deep and dark crisis of faith. There's Psalm 23. Says that we go through the valley of the shadow of death, and yet we do not fear because God is with us. You think about the trajectory of your week or maybe even your life. Are you disappointed that everything's not like up and to the right as you evaluate? You say, What is God doing? Or maybe you've just had a momentary discouragement, a setback. Or maybe you are like the ones of the wicked that are described in this psalm. What happens here is that God reveals his goodness and his wisdom. And we'll get to the place of that revelation. That's important. I want you to see he reveals the end of the wicked. Um, We can look at the the psalm in in two ways, and we'll put that up here for you. We see in verses 1 through 16, the troubled heart of the psalmist. and verses 17 through 20, the enlightened heart uh, of the psalmist. And so that's that's the flow of the psalm. Let's look at that, and then let's look at the place. Because when we look at Scripture, when we look at all of Scripture... What we see is, if we were to look at the Bible, the Psalms, the life of Jesus, is they all go through this valley. They all go down into the pit. And it's only God who lifts us up. It's only God. And it's only trusting in him. And it's only seeing the plan of God in those moments that will rescue you. So verse 1 begins with a yes, truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And, and, and he says that, that's the, that is the, that's the thinking and that's the belief. And I think we're all here this morning because there's something, at least in our mind, that we believe. You got up, you got dressed, you smell halfway good, and you're here, Right? And so you'd affirm that first, oh, yeah, of course God is good. But I think in our, in our thinking, in our internal, we're at verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Is God really good? In other words, is God really just? Is he really going to make good on his promises? Is he really going to right wrongs that are in the world? Will those who have sinned against God and humanity will they really be called to an account? Can God really be good? This is at, at a time. This this um, it, it's a time within the uh, the Psalms, but it's also. The the time that the Psalms were put together, where were the children of Israel? They were in captivity. They were the the people that were supposed to be ruled by this good and great king. That was the promise forevermore. But here they are, they're oppressed. And the psalmist begins to look around. In verse 3 he says, I was envious of the arrogant. What's happening in his heart is he sees the flourishing... ...of the arrogant and the wicked, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Proverbs 23, 17 is a warning against this. It's a warning that we do not look around and envy the the wicked. But that's what the psalmist was doing because he saw what? Look at verse 4. They have comfort. They have no pangs until death. In other words, man, they go their whole life and we can't avoid death. Of course, death is difficult but it just seems like easy street till they get there. I want that kind of life. Their bodies are fat and sleek. In other words, they're comfortable. They have everything they need. They, this is a way of the psalmist. We might not express it this way. They look good. That's what he's saying. They look good. They are not in trouble, verse 5, as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Who is stricken in this psalm? Look at verse 14. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Verse 16. But when I thought of how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. The same word, stricken. He's the one who's feeling stricken. It says their pride, pride is another way of saying prestige, right? They're given accolades, and they wear that like a medallion, like like a medal. Again, like getting back to the the racing days, right? After the race, and we, we do live in America, everybody gets what? A finisher's medal, right? For me, you can look at me. That was an accomplishment. <laughs> so I, like everybody else, was like, Yeah, I finished. <laughs> I got passed by a guy in a shark costume, but I finished. <laughs> right. They wear this, the accolades of others, and they're proud. They're proud. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them. What does pride do in relationships? He's recognizing this. He's saying their people are giving them all of these accolades. And how are they behaving? Like they deserve everything. Like everything should be given to them. And what's the result? Violence covers them. Can you hear the law in this? Can you hear the the second table of the law in this? Thou shalt not covet or steal. But for them, that's a given. It's accepted. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes swell out in fatness. And their heart overflows with follies. What is in the heart? Three times in this passage, the heart is mentioned. Look at verse 1. It's his heart. To those who are pure in heart, God is good in Israel. And look at verse 13. He says, of his heart, in vain I have kept my heart clean. But what's happening in the heart of the wicked? It overflows with foolishness. And what's the result? They scoff. Right? What, what comes out of their heart ends up on their tongue. They scoff and speak, how? With malice. They speak of others, and they speak evil of others. Loftily, they threaten oppression. Look at, look at how, how, this is what's happening in the heart of the wicked. Here's how it comes out. It's a scoffing and a speaking with malice. This ought to remind us every psalm from Psalm 3 to Psalm 150 will explain Psalm 1 and 2. Who who rages in Psalm 2? The nations who scoffs in Psalm 2. God at their raging. Here we're seeing that repeated, reflected of Psalm 2. Even this psalm is a reflection of Psalm 2, for for we know their end. They set their mouths where? Against the heavens. This is not just a scoffing against their neighbor. This is not just speaking malice of other people. What are they doing? They're setting their mouth against God. I love the the poetic language because I can see it. Uh, I can see, like, when I read verse 7, they're Eyes swell out through fatness. You can just like, you can see these bug-eyed, you know, just looking at what they want. And then in verse 9, their tongues strut through the earth. You can almost see the vision of these proud tongues. That's what he's seeing. But here's how it affects the people of God. And ask yourself, do you see this today? Therefore, his people, God's people, do what? Turn back to them and find no fault in them. God's people find no fault in what they're doing and even doing what they're doing. That's the implication. It's not like God's people here are remaining neutral they're approving of it as well as engaging in it it's affecting god people and here's the questions that they have can god know we say oh that's that's a wicked question maybe It's a sincere question. It can be a wicked question. Does God really know? God, are you really there? In a conversation just this week with someone I brought up, God, And they said, God, what God? Hey, God, was their response. Are you out there? (laughs) In mock. Can God really know? It's easy to look at this psalm and say, well, we never ask this question. But I think we do. I think we do. I think that's why this psalm is here because it reveals the wrestling even of our own hearts as we look at the world and what's happening in the world. And we too, in our own hearts, go down this path. He says, my feet had almost stumbled. Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. They are always at ease. They increase enriches and then there's another yes most of the translations don't record the truly or the the yes maybe you have a version that does in verse 13 it's a reiteration of verse 1 he says truly in vain i have kept my heart clean i have washed my hands in innocence for all the days long i have been stricken and rebuked in the morning and he says he's repeating how his foot almost slipped He almost what? This is happening in his heart. And notice the connection between the heart and the mouth. Right? He almost did what? He almost said it. He almost declared. He almost went down that same path. And when we, we, this is is a realization. He's realizing that what he does influences other people. And he will be accountable for that influence. I, would, I almost spoke thus. And I would have betrayed your children. The, gen, the generation of your children. But when I thought of how to understand this. It seemed to me a wearisome task. But we know here. He puts himself to the test. To the task. So I've got to understand this. This is this. this, is, this suffering is unintelligible to me. And so where does he go? He says, I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I got an answer. Then I discerned their end. James chapter 3 tells us where wisdom comes from. Wisdom does not come from inside of us. In fact, what James says is that wisdom that... That, that comes from a horizontal or an inside is earthly. But there's wisdom that comes from above. It is alien wisdom. It's external wisdom. It is wisdom that we need to know how to rightly live. And we cannot get that from inside of us. But there's a place that God meets us. It's the sanctuary. It's the sanctuary. We're going to get back to that sanctuary, but hold that thought. That is the place of wisdom. It's the sanctuary of God. And here he says, Truly, you set them, verse 18, in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. What you're going to see, he he goes in this place. What does God give him? God gives him wisdom. This is a wisdom psalm. God gives him wisdom when he enters into holy ground, this holy place. He receives what is wisdom in revelation. And what does he see? These same people. Did the people change? No. Did what, their, their actions change? Absolutely not. What changed? The heart of the worshiper changed. And how does he describe these people now? In ruin and in terror. That's the reality. In ruin and in terror. He says, I see this. Look at verse 19. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. Oh, Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Psalm 78 says they're but just a dream, and and they're gone. He waves them away. And so he enters into this place of worship. He receives this wisdom of understanding through the revelation of who God is. What does it lead him to? It leads him to confession. You see, when we encounter like the, the, the prophet Isaiah, when he goes into the holy place, when he sees God, what does he say? Woo! I like it here! Nice house. It's a good place. No, he cries, woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of what? Unclean lips. When when my soul was embittered, I was pricked in my heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. He confesses his lowly state. He confesses that whole first part of the psalm that was me acting like a barn animal. I have no idea. I'm clueless as to what God is doing unless God reveals it to me. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. Notice now his profession in these verses 23 through 26. Notice how he's saying I'm kept, I'm secure, We sang, I am who you say I am because you have changed me. Not, I am who you say I am because I'm so good. Look at me. Be careful how you sing that song. I am who you say I am. I am a sinner. That when I confess sins because you have gotten a hold of me. When I thought I was independent and no, it was you holding me. It was your steadfast love. It was the fact that you're the refuge. You're the one who is seeking. It's because you're God. Look what he says. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with counsel. And you receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And the answer is, come on, church. No one. No one. There is nothing on earth I desire before you besides you. Do you see? Can you see that? Have you come to this place where you go? Nothing else matters. Have you come to that place? Like, have you gotten to that place that the psalmist comes here where you say, nothing else matters. The only thing that matters is God Himself. That's where the sanctuary leads you. And then he gets in his confession real. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and portion forever. Do you see how he's resting? Right. The whole first part of this is unrest, and now he has rest. Oh, that's that's. Isn't that the peace that you desire? Can't you just like don't you just can you feel that in your just in your body and in your heart and in your mind where the psalmist has just breathed that I'm at rest. That peacefulness. Right? Just this past week, I watched my grandson struggle in Grace's arms because he was tired. You know, a little baby who struggles and they're tired, right? They're fighting the thing that they want the most, <laughs> but they don't even know it till they self-soothe, right? And they go, ah. and when they go, ah, their little eyes close, and the drool begins, right? Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful picture? You see a baby sleeping, and, and this baby, no matter what happens around it, it's asleep. Lewis just, he's out. He's resting, right? He is, you know, and now he can do that with grace. If you think about this, why can he do that with grace? Because it's not necessarily because of grace. He knows his Nana, but he knows his mom and dad and is securely attached So that even when he's away from them, he can rest. That's where the psalmist is. He's away from his heavenly father, but he has entered into where? This holy place. There is something that happens on Sunday morning that we need to be more aware of. I don't have time to go into it and to explain it. Um, I'm going to throw a few things out that you should talk about. Hopefully, I, you know, their, their words and their phrases and their concepts that maybe are within your thinking, but maybe need to be developed more in your own personal study and around your tables this week. We need to think more about what we do on Sunday morning as holy and by holy as in sacrament. We don't use that word a whole lot. And we've got history and reformation and those kinds of things. And by sacrament, I don't mean as we gather around the table um, of the Lord here. That mysteriously these elements turn into the very literal body and literal blood of Jesus. But what I do mean is that all through scripture, Genesis to Revelation. God brings his people to a holy place. And the holy place is the focus of Scripture. And it is the holy place that, that word is revealed and that God's people receive wisdom. And I don't see in Scripture where they're doing that on their own. But rather I see that God meets with them. And God reveals himself in the gathered, in the corporate gathering of God's people where he graces them in a very mysterious way where he gives them. I'm not saying that God's giving us new revelation, but I am saying that he does illumine our hearts and our minds when we are gathered together around God's word. And we ought to await that, anticipate that. Even as we think about the return of the king and what that will be like, sparks fly when God's church is gathered together. They are the sparks of the coming king. That's the sanctuary that's mentioned in this psalm. That's what we ought to anticipate when we come into this place. That's why we gather our entire family and we want them here to experience what God is doing. Much of our expectation around church is expectations created around information and entertainment. Listen, I haven't told you anything new if you've been around church for a while. I can't tell you anything new. I tell the same story every Sunday. I can't. But what I can tell you is this is holy ground. Expect God to work. And how will God work? He will give you wisdom in this place during this time. Come into the sanctuary. Come in how? Confessing. We are here not because we're any better than anybody who is not here. We're not. In fact, all we know is we are just like them. Sinners, condemned. And yet, we know that God has chosen to give us grace. And so we gather on holy ground. Not this building, but this event. And God graces us. God graces us your heart anticipate that? I pray that in this season when we think about and prepare for the incarnation, celebrating the incarnation of Jesus that we would understand that God is still Emmanuel. He is with us. And so we say for behold those who are Far off or far from you shall what? Perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good. Is God truly good? Yes, he is good. It is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works. Draw near to God, church. He will draw near to you. May you proclaim, even as the shepherds did. Come, behold, Emmanuel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. How beautiful it is and how easy it is to explain. So as well, we need your grace and your love in these moments revealed to us so that we understand the wisdom of knowing you and how to love you and by loving you, love others. So Lord, we pray that you would take by your spirit the words of this psalm and apply them to our hearts. Make them the discussion of our dinner tables this week. Place them before us even as you place food on your table this morning. Make us people of childlike faith that long for the food of the word of God till we meet in this sanctuary again and you meet with us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.